Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, Holy Spirit, we just, we just ask that you just bring revelation tonight, Lord, that will affect our lives. I pray this every time, Lord, that we would understand your ways and how you operate, Lord, so that we may come in line with how you're, you're functioning and how you, uh, how, your ways. So God, I just pray that there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of you. Let it come, Lord. Let it come. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we start, uh, um, I just want to ask this. Are there any questions or thoughts that you had out of, out of last week? I know I dumped a lot last week. And uh, is there any thoughts or questions? Um, so if not, um, one person had asked me to review back to the, the whoa, fell off my ear. Sorry about that. Um, it asked me to review back, start at the beginning, but they're not here, so I don't feel an intense need to do that, uh, except from this standpoint, um, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, remember there's three, three things um, that, that always we correlate the sovereignty of God. God is the owner of everything, God is the absolute ruler of everything, and God is the creator of everything. And a very important thing is, is that when we talked about God as a creator of everything, that God created everything with order, which is law. Uh, God created everything good. And, uh, and one thing I, I just want to, I just really felt, as I was studying today, I really felt compelled to remind us about this, that the spirit of Antichrist, Antichrist, seeks to make alteration to times and law. So think about that. When we talk about law, literally meaning order and how God ordered creation, what, he's try, what he will try to do physically, when he manifests physically, but also I believe it happens in relationship to the spiritual realm. Um, you know, because, you know, it talks about in 1 John where it talks about the Antichrist has come, and is, you know, is already at work, the spirit of Antichrist. And so he'll try to alter, alter, alter the law, because that's how God ordered it function. If he can alter law, he can, alter, he can cause a lot of issues. But when God created law and ordered everything in creation, I mean, just like gravity, you know, you know, if all of a sudden, if laws of aerodynamics changed in any way, shape, or form, it would be a serious thing on an airplanes instantly. And that's sort of how uh, all a creation would be if Satan was able to alter law in any way, shape, or form. And so uh, it's really a pretty significant thing. So when we talk about the sovereign God, remember, God is the, the owner of everything, the ruler of everything, and the creator of everything. And the question we're looking at when we're talking about the sovereignty of God is how did God create everything to function? Remember, there were five statements that we're going to deal with, and I'm not going to say them all, but God created everything with purpose, time, boundaries, and authority, and that's what we spent last week, evaluating how God created you with a purpose, God created you with time, God created boundaries in relationship with you to live, and he created you with authority. 
And you know, there's other, I had a guy sent me a, a, a message during the week. What do you think God created everybody with identity? It's, not, it's different than what, than like purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. Because what we're de- seeing with this is the ordering of creation, how you and I function. Now, we experience identity in that relationship with God. Uh, that's why I have, when Adam and Eve sinned and they experienced death, they were separated from God. Identity, the loss of identity is one of the things that happened. Loss of needs. So, so that's why these things, why when I pulled them out, really feel like God was saying them, that this correlates to the sovereignty of God. This is how things function. All things function in creation. So anyway, we're going to look at the new, the new sheets tonight, which I hope you have page 7. And uh, how the sovereign God allows everyone the freedom to receive and fulfill or reject, uh-oh, reject and violate purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. Um, answer it, please. And just find out what's up. So, so anyway, y'all ready for this? This could be a, this could be a rabbit hole in some ways. So, uh. Let's go with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Let's start off hardcore, how God, the sovereign God, allows men, women, angels, the freedom to fulfill or violate God's purpose for themselves. And I'm going to start off with probably the ultimate uh, spiritual being on the dark side, which is Satan's fact. So let's look at two past scriptures, uh, Isaiah 14, 12, and also Ezekiel 28. Here's a, just a, um, a random question. Um, one of the things that we'll look in this past scripture, uh, when, did, uh, when did Satan fall? In the garden. Nope, in the garden. We'll look at that. So... Huh? Oh, wait a minute. We got to. Yeah, we're dealing with this, Stephen. Yeah. Is that, I mean, he so. He, he fell when he initially defied God and went to tempt his. tempt God's creation. And then there was the curse on the serpent to where they had to crawl. But the, here, here's the question that I'm asking is when he. Well, we'll, we'll look at it here in a few minutes that where you'll see that. That Lucifer was the archangel in the Garden of Eden. He he fell after the Garden of Eden and after man had been functioning. A lot of, so we'll look at that. But anyway, let's look at Isaiah first in Isaiah fourteen twelve. And notice, uh, I'll start at verse verse. Uh, 11, your pomp and your music of your harps. This is where you see that Lucifer is also considered the archangel in relationship to music, praise and worship. And says, uh, you have been bought, brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you. Worms are your covering. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? In other words, reflection of the morning star. Um, you have been cut down to earth. You have weakened. 
Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of heaven. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the earth. I will ascend above the heights. I will make myself like the most high. So what we're going to look, go, if, while you're doing that, look at the Ezekiel passage 28. You'll see the other side of it. Verse 12 you see the type that it's speaking in relationship to, to, the, to the king of Tyre, but it's a type, and it, you'll see who it is when it starts referring to it. It says, um, it says, you had the seal of perfection, full of beauty, I'm in verse 12, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Here, here you see it in verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering ruby and topaz and the diamond and the barrel and the onyx and the jasper, all of these crazy cool stones. The gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created. So here's this created archangel, beautiful, uh, was in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, and then, in, then in verse... 14, you see more about it. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. That's crazy thoughts. So what we're seeing is, is that Lucifer was this archangel with the purpose of of worship and reflecting what theologians believe, reflecting accurately who Jesus was, is. And, uh, and he was the archangel in relationship to, to Jesus and all of the, and a third of the angels of heaven. We know that from Revelation chapter 12, we're under him. And we know that how he led a third of the angels of heaven in that Revelation 12, one and two passage, led them astray. Um, and uh, he violated his purpose. Angelic being, violating purpose. Because one of the things that, you'll, that we'll have to deal with is, is the question that when God purposes something, does it mean that it all will automatically happen? Well, obviously, Lucifer's created for one thing, but God gave him the freedom to violate it, which is crazy to think about. Crazy thought. And let's take it one more step in relationship to us and, and your notes. In 2 Peter 3, 9, there's no need to turn around, just speak it real quick, you know, where it said, God does not purpose or plan any man to perish, but all to come under repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 4, the other passage there, where we know it says that it is God's will for all men to be saved. But the reality is, the question is, will everyone be saved? No. Because we know that in Matthew 7, 13, where Jesus is talking is broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go that way. So even though it is God's will for all men to be saved, God does not purpose or plan any man to perish, but still yet God gives freedom for people to choose the broad way, which leads to destruction. And, uh, and so, in fact, I, did last week, can you help me here? Did we talk about Revelation 17, 8, about it, 
God wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world. And we talked about that, correct? You said that our names are already there and they get blotted out. Yeah. yeah, names are written in from the foundations of the world. In fact, you only know that there's one name that's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundations of the world, which is the Antichrist, and that's the significance of that. And uh, so one name's, and one name's left out, and that's it. So if you want to know who the Antichrist is, if you can take every person that's ever lived and, every, and the Lamb's Book of Life, and you can bear those two, do a sampling of each. So you could write the program for that, Burby. And, uh, and then you would find out who the Antichrist is. And so, but that is the reality of it. And, and that's where it says in Revelations 3, 5, he who overcomes... Uh, in no way will his name be blotted out of the book of life. Well, we know that 1 John 5, 5 tells us that who is it that overcomes but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, the reality is you and I, a person can choose not to believe, exercise that authority not to believe, and I don't know for sure when their names are blotted out, my my conviction is it's when they, when somebody dies without believing. But I do not have a past scripture that says that. So I, that's why I say, you know, call that a lie. Let God be established. T uh, Stephen? When you say believing, I'm assuming that these people are declaring that Jesus is not just their Savior, but their Lord and intend to serve him as Lord and Master. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it comes from like John 3, 16. Those who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So you would correlate the two. But you're right, detach it with Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. So, so anyway, the whole purpose in this, y'all, I mean, the whole emphasis in this thing that we have purpose and here man can violate it in relationship to their salvation now I want to declare this real quick and all of you know this but in your notes there you remember how, what's the fulfillment of this well we know that Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 that after that God rose Jesus from the dead he highly exalted him and he gave him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. God the Father declares over Jesus that the name of Jesus is the name which every knee is to bow and every tongue is confessed. That is the name which every other, you know, there is no other name which a man may be saved. So Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our, what, mouth, Jesus is Lord, and what does confess mean? Speak the same thing. And so what you're doing is you're agreeing with God that the reality of, that you're agreeing with God in relationship to the name of Jesus. So therefore, you, are, you and I would fulfill the purpose of our lives. We're coming in agreement with God what the declaration of God is. A fulfillment of purpose. Uh, one little rabbit trail. Do you remember the passage in... Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, um, and I probably don't have time to, to speak this, but it's, it's ever so relevant. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I say to you that every careless word that a man shall speak shall render account for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now when you look at that, the first statement that people, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself so much. But anyway, I'm already here. I done stepped in it, might as well go on through, as they would say in a black church, that... Uh, that um, First time I, when people read that past scripture, they go, okay, you mean that God is going to come and he's going to, uh, every word that I've said, bad word, is going to set them have to give account for it? That's not what this verse is saying. Literally, it says, I say to you that every careless word, and that Greek word for careless literally means empty. Every empty word that men shall speak, they'll render account for it on the day of judgment. By your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Okay, the purpose of God in all creation, he ordered it in a way that he created every one of us for, for eternal life. In fact, let me just put this in real quick. Um, God did not create hell for man. Matthew chapter 25, 41 tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. So, so but what happens is, is that every idle, well, you and I will give account for every idle word on the day of judgment. And so literally what happens is, how, does, how do you and I get saved? How do we receive eternal life, fulfill the purpose of God in our lives in relationship to eternal life? How? Confession. That Jesus is Lord. Well, what if you don't speak that? That's that's empty word. By your words, you're justified. By your words, you're condemned. In fact, that passage of Scripture even goes deeper to say that the very course of your life can be determined. You will, in the day of judgment, you will see the very course of your life, how it ends up where it is in relationship to your words. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. Now, you've got to realize, remember this now as I'm speaking this. Our Heavenly Father is so awesome. He's created everything with purpose for, for us to have a purpose with Him and, and experience fullness of life. But here's the crazy thing is that He created us and created everything with us, with the freedom to choose. Do we come in agreement with that purpose? And that is the crazy thing. He's not going to lock us in a room and say, you'll love me or else. He doesn't go there. That's not love. What's love is, I I mean, if I would have took Paul and locked in a room and said, you're going to marry me, that wouldn't be too loving. But when... When, but when the reality was, both of us, I was dating five other girls at the time I met Paula, the four other girls. So she was it in relationship to me. I love her. I said, you're it. And that's the basis of everything. She's holy to me. Holy means separate, set apart. And so she suddenly, when I loved her, 
to give to, to say, I ask you to be my wife, she became holy to me. She's separate from every other relationship. And I don't know how I got there on this. But I'm trying to get, communicate the heart of God in this. Is that then all of a sudden Paula had the freedom to say, Yeah, I love you too. And it's and it's this mutual freedom. So God purposes us with this eternal life. He reveals it and he says, Here it is. I demonstrated it to you. Now you can choose it if you like. I will not coerce you into it. So anyway, so go with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 29, because, it's, because there is a stream of theology that tells you that when God purposes something, it's God's will, then it's got to happen. In fact, there's a joke that, that some people in those circles will say. There's a guy walking down some steps, and he trips, and he falls, and he get, and rolls all the way down the stairs. When he gets to the bottom of the stairs, he goes, oh, I'm glad that's over with. From the gist that, well, that was something purposed and destined in his life to occur. And that's what predestination would say. But look at this passage in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 29. It says, when all the people, the tax gatherers, heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. I'm sorry. It's when the people in the tax gatherers heard this, they acknowledged God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They, they rejected God's purpose. That's in relationship to a particular facet of your life. And let me notice this. Go with me to 1 Samuel, I mean 1 Kings chapter 11, I mean 9. We'll go to 9 first. In 1 Kings chapter 9, um, verse 5, we'll start at 4. But as for you, he's talk, this is God speaking to Solomon. But as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked in the integrity of your heart and uprightness, doing all, to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. So God is saying, I will establish your kingdom forever. So he speaks this to him. Just as I promised to your father David, you shall not lack a man on the throne, but if your sons shall indeed turn away from following me and shall not keep my commandments, my statutes, which I set before them, and go after to serve other gods and worship them, I'll cut off Israel from the land which I had given them. So God, here you see God saying, I will establish your kingdom forever. Well, just go two chapters later in chapter 11, and where you see in verse, um, verse 11, where Solomon kind of has this thing after wild women, and he, he, I think what he had, 900 and some wives and concubines, and and started going after 
the gods of other, other, of, of other lands. In verse 11 it says, And the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes, I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. And so it goes on to say. So what I'm trying to point out is, and I'm just getting redundant, but God can promise something, but he gives us the freedom to violate that, that promise. Matthew chapter 23, let me hurriedly go on with this, where you see Jesus saying to the, to, in relationship to the nation of Israel, how I long for you to come to me so that I, like he says, I'll take you under my, uh, my wings as a, as a mother hen with, with its chicks. And, uh, and, but you see in John chapter 1 where he came to his own and his own did not receive him. There's the freedom to choose. God creating us with purpose and, and we have that freedom to violate it. And I also spoke about the works of God that God created for you and I to walk in in Ephesians 2.10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And uh, that's what we created for, that we should walk in them. Doesn't mean we automatically will. Because you see in Revelation chapter 3, where he says, Wake up, strengthen that which remains, for I have not found your deeds completed yet in the sight of God. So purpose is wide open. God has created all, he's purposed us, created us with this awesome purpose. And he says, you can follow it. You can choose it. And you can walk in it. And uh, I just really want to keep it simple. What's the fulfillment of that? How you and I can walk in the fulfillment of his purposes. And I really honestly believe that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is the simplicity of it. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Lean, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. I mean, and that's it in a nutshell. I know, prophetically, prophetically, I've spoken some things over people that I, you know, the best I can understand from what I hear from God is that was it. And it was like, uh, and then I've watched them, and some of them walk in, and some of them don't. And that's, you know, that was disturbing to me at first, and now I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a guy that had a vision one time of heaven, and there was this big room with all these treasures in it. And he asked God, God, what are these treasures? And he said, these are the treasures that people have not walked in and claimed in their lives. You know, so you, you think about it. Um, I do want to, I, for some reason, I feel compelled to tell this story real quick because many times we feel, you know, there's a lot of pressure in this. I got to get it right. I got to get it right. God's purpose for my life. So I want to say this to y'all. God's more interested in you seeing fulfilled purpose than you are. He's more vested in your life than he is in so much that he gave his only begotten son to empower you and I to fulfill purpose. So, you know, that's why, that's why you don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, know him. He'll make your path straight. You'll fulfill it. There was a lady one time, a little old lady, 
really sweet lady in a, in a good old Baptist church got up and they were having testimony night. And she, she stood up to share her testimony and kind of everybody was going like, this is going to be interesting. You know, she's a real sweet lady, you know. And somebody like Bev and she stands up and goes, well, I just want to thank God that he delivered me from prostitution, from murder. And she starts listing off all these hardcore sins. And people are in the church going. <laughs> and then he goes, she goes on just listing off all this stuff, you know, that, that she, God, quote, delivered her from. And then, and then she, gets, she goes and says, because when I was five years old, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I never did any of these things. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes the testimonies in our lives are, are some of the most precious and powerful things are the people that walk with God all the way, you know, because they're fulfilling and walking in the purposes and destinies of God, you know. I, you know, also, I really want to, Tom, this is the Tom Burby passage. Look at 1 Timothy, I mean, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Talking about the purposes of God. And sometimes some of the stuff we get into. But I want you to notice this in 1, 6. You, you pointed this out to me, Tom. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Did you catch that phrase? If necessary. If necessary. If necessary. What in the world does that mean? How many of us in this room like trials and temptations and tribulations? You know, uh, but the reality is that uh, the place of having to believe into our lives is, is the treasure of all treasures. You know, we get frustrated when things get rough and rocky and, and we have to believe God. But their reality, that's the treasures of heaven. And so, anyway, to walk in the fulfillment of God's purposes... Because I say this to y'all, anything not of faith is what? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things have not seen. If you can do it, if I can do it, if we can see it, it's not faith. We can do it. Why do we need God? God is, I heard, uh, oh, what's the guy's, uh, uh, some prophet dude said, you never can get comfortable in what God does. Because he's always doing the impossible. You can only get comfortable in who God is. So, Graham Cook, that's who it was. Yeah. So anyway, the sovereign God that creates everyone or grants everyone the freedom to fulfill, receive and fulfill our purpose or to reject and violate our purpose. So you've got that freedom. Do you want to come in agreement with your lives? I do want to say this about... Uh, no, never mind. I don't want to deal with it yet. Let's go to the next one in the middle, number two. The sovereign God allows men and women and angels the freedom to fulfill and violate God's assigned boundaries. Now, you probably don't think much in your life much about boundaries. 
And remember, we spent a lot of time talking about it last week, about how there's, oops, I came in here without, Josh, on top of that uh, marker, I mean, that, uh, where the books are, there's a, looks like a shaving kit. You see, it's uh, the markers, or it's in one of the drawers. So, but the boundaries for our lives in relationship to where we live, but also the spheres of ministry. And uh, what I want to show real quick, if you would go with me to Jude 6, how that literally even spiritual beings have the freedom to violate these boundaries. And uh, that's crazy to me that this God that we have, y'all, so awesome, so powerful, does not, he loves us so much that he gives us the freedom to blow it. And notice this in Jude 6. It says, I'll start at 5. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. The angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in bonds under darkness, for judgment for the great day. Who are those guys? Those are the dudes in Genesis 6. The ones who left their proper abode and came and dwelt with the daughters of men. No. No, the Nephilim were the fruit of it. It's one of the things they say. That's what, what speculation is. The Nephilim were the fruit of it. So these, these characters, you see it mentioned in 2 Peter chapter, let me see. Um, I'm going to read this because there's something for you to get. Verse 4, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them, now the American standard says cast them into hell. But the Greek word there is to tartus. To tar, it's really a hard word to say, to tartus. And it's not hell. The Greek word for hell is Gehenna. But this is a, this is a place that these angels um, are being held because they, it's not Hades, it's not hell, it's the Taurus. They're awaiting judgment because they left their proper abode. And we'll talk about that from another angle, but... The thing I want you to see, that you and I can violate that boundaries. Angels can, well, guess what? You and I can too. Um, look at this in, um, oops, I have left a past scripture out somewhere. I did not put it in here. Uh, go with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8, and also 2 Thessalonians. I left a passage out. I can't believe I didn't put it in there. Second Thessalonians. Oops, nope. First Thessalonians, sorry about that. That's why I didn't put it in there. First Thessalonians chapter three, I mean chapter four. 
sorry. We'll start at uh, verse 3. And also we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. In fact, we'll go read that one first. If you're ever wondering, this, this 10th chapter of Ecclesiastes is the Old Testament uh, chapter on, in relationship to spiritual, water, uh, spiritual warfare. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. Listen to it. It says, He who digs a pit may fall in it. A serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. What is he saying? A serpent? You remember when uh, in the book of Job, when God says to, uh, Satan says to God, he says, you know, when God said, have you set your heart on my servant Job? And then it goes on to say, Satan says, Job, does Job fear you for nothing? And he says, How, have you not put a hedge around him? And all that he has. And so literally what you're seeing is, is that there's this hedge of protection that God puts around us. That we're literally, we're the enemy, our adversary, can, uh, is limited in his effect in our lives. That's my artwork. But this past scripture says, he who sticks his hand through a wall may be bit by the serpent. And so what that's, that's talking about is there's these boundaries in relationship to life that if you and I walk in these, within these boundaries, there's, there's, there's protection. That's what Jesus said in, in John chapter 11 when, you remember, they saying, let's go, let's go to this. Jesus says, let's go to Lazarus. And, you know, you, you want to go to Bethany? They just wanted to kill you there. And Jesus says, if you walk in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. In other words, if you're walking in the will of God, where God is, there is protection from the enemy. And that's why a lot of times that when I'm overseas, like I was telling you all last week, if God's telling me to go, you can go with confidence. However, there's times when he tells me and warns me something is about to happen. And you know it's going to happen before it happens, but, you know. So anyway, but there's that protection. And then there, there's a reason why God, uh, there's a whole other rabbit about redeeming that. Uh, let me just, this sounds like a crazy rabbit, but I'm going to tell you this. This principle is very, very important in relationship to spiritual warfare in the area of dealing with witches and warlocks. I don't know what your belief is about that, but witchcraft is real. That's not ethereal. It's not for Hollywood. It's real. And, and one of the things that happens in spiritual warfare is, is that, you know, people, witches and warlocks, will put curses on, on believers. Well, on other people too, but a lot of times on believers. And, and there's this hedge of protection. But one of the reasons, like, it's kind of crazy, it's one of my convictions, one of the reasons why God allows this kind of thing is that it perfects holiness, to be honest with you. Um, if there's anything in your life that's not in line with the will of God, 
what happens is, is where those curses are at, it gives, you, it gives a doorway for the enemy to get you. And that's, that's why I like Satanists. They're really violent. And one of the reasons why they're violent is that they, if they put curses on you, you get in anger, you've opened a doorway. If you retaliate in your heart, you've opened a doorway. I mean, I've had... Curses are really real to me. I have been about killed by them. Now the stupidness in my life. And my kids have been affected by curses. They, out of the stupidness of my life, you know. And I have seen a lot of victory in relationship to witchcraft. You know, where people have tried to give me a hard time with witchcraft and they end up not in a good position and their lives were about to die. One night, this Satanist dude come in a church service that we were doing. Well, it was a prayer time, and he uh, was trying to do some uncool things there. And uh, God just had me had enough wisdom to keep my mouth shut and my heart's right. And uh, the old boy ends up in a hospital that night, about to die. His all of his organs just shut down, and the doctors don't know why what has happened. And uh, can we say that was the last time that he uh, messed with us? In fact, he, 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 he kind of departed the area when that happened. He had been hanging around there, but because uh, it kind of scared him. Uh, you don't mess with somebody that's walking in the power of God and the protection of God. So there's a, there's a protection. A friend of mine who walked, uh, walks very strong in the prophetic, white guy, one of his favorite ministries was to go into black bars in South Florida. Well, I don't know if what you know about South Florida. Back in the 70s and 80s, that was not a really cool place for white people to go. And uh, one night he went into one of those bars and was just dealing Jesus, as he does, and one old boy walked up to him with a switch knife, popped switchblade up and stuck it under his throat and said, what are you doing in here, you white SOB? And Bob looked at him, pointed his finger at him, said, in the name of Jesus, sit down. <laughs> the old boy fell over in the spirit. Just poof. Bob just went about passing out tracks. Because why? He's walking within the boundaries of God in relationship to life and ministry. Well, that was, and that had to be his sphere of authority, though, too. Yes. You can personally, right, you can personally be, be walking with the Lord, but that doesn't give you liberty to just have authority wherever you go. There, there are still places where God, you know, places where God's given you authority. So you, he still has had to have authority by the Lord to go into those places and do that. This guy would spend a week in prayer before he'd go in one of those places. I mean, it would be different. I mean, if like one of us and we weren't, you know, you could be jacked up on Jesus and not necessarily go in there and have authority to do that. True. Because God had not said do it. Right. Because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. What he saw the Father doing, that he did. So if you go where Jesus is at, that's pretty good cover. That's a pretty good boundary. <laughs> You know, and so that's the cool thing. Walking within the boundaries of God. And 
to violate those boundaries is not cool. Um, uh, let me show you one. Look at this. Look at, I, I told you, look, second Thess, oh, first Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter 4, I said verse, verse 5. 3, sorry. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things just as we also told you and solemnly warned. For God has call, called us for purpose of impurity but for in sanctification. In other words, uh, it's not a cool thing to go mess with another man's wife. You're going to have to deal with God. That is a boundary you don't want to cross. Do you realize that if, if a guy crosses a boundary and messes with another man's wife that in physical relationship, that is a sin against the body? And, and you can track a lot of serious issues that occurs in people's lives because these kind of events transpire. And uh, it's very kind of interesting to watch because you're violating a boundary. And these can be violated. So realize this, that there's boundaries in your life. One is where you live, where God's called you to live, where God has called you to minister, and you can violate those boundaries. I shared with you all last week when I violated the boundary that God had given me to live where he was doing a work with me to live in Blacksburg, but I took off and went to Big Stone Gap. And there, when I went to Big Stone Gap, a lot of crazy things happened in my life, like two surgeries, heart problems. And like I told you last week, we started to lose Shay, and we were having an effect. Uh, Paula had surgery. It was a crazy time. It was not a cool time because I was, the, the protection of God was here, and I'm over here. And a lot of times people get in these places going, what's God doing to me? God's going... I ain't got nothing to do with this. You know? I ain't, I ain't, you, I ain't, I ain't in this ballgame. <laughs> you're over. You're here. I'm here. Come over here. Does that make sense? Yes? I agree with this. And the proverb that says, a curse is not a light without a cause, this would be... That's right. Exactly. So... When we're facing trials and temptations, I also consider that a curse to refine us and to bring us back and to check our situations. And can be. Can be. Can be. Yeah. Can be. Because think about this. Jesus wasn't in sin when he was tempted by the devil. So can be. It can be. It can be. Uh, trials are... Or in trials and temptations, the same Greek word. So there's no difference between trials and temptations. Trials, temptations are one event. That's as are doorways. That's what the trial, temptation word it means means doorway, a pass through. Uh, tribulation means to squeeze or pressure. Those are the characteristics of the world. So it just depends on the situation, circumstance in your life, uh, what's going on. Um, you know, you can tell whether it's a tribulation. 
most of the time you can tell whether tribulation or something's in relationship to a, a sin in your life uh, because you got peace inside when it's one that is not in relationship to anything goofy in your life. Um, like the time I shared with y'all that there was a church that I got involved in to try to help. The pastor had an affair and caused a lot of goofiness to occur. And uh, in the church, it was a church I was real familiar with. I go back to try to help the church. In fact, crazy thing is, y'all, uh, what happened was I mentioned them were with me. We went to do a youth retreat that, with the youth of the church. We're, we're there and we spend the whole weekend with the youth. Then on Sunday night, I decided to go to the Sunday night service there. And so the pastor's leading, and I'm sitting in the balcony. Uh, they give the, uh, you know, at the end of the service, he gives an invitation. When they're doing the invitation, he walks out of the service. I hear the Spirit of God said he's going over to his study at his house. Get Ralph and go with him. Go, 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 go talk to him. I'm just trying to listen to the Lord. So I, Ralph was one of the deacons. So I get Ralph and we go. And we go over to the pastor's study. That's what God told me to do. I don't know where he's at. I knock on the door. I open the door. I hear a voice come in. I walk in. There's the pastor, his wife, and the woman he's having an affair with. And the pastor and the wife, and I mean the pastor and the woman he's having an affair with are coming against the wife telling her all kind of goofy stuff and she's at the point of suicide. And I walk in in the middle of this. Can we say craziness? Well, anyway... Instead of just minister to it in the short term, I got involved in it and started running my mouth. We go to Florida, down in Florida at my dad's house. I started making phone calls back and really attacking the guy who had the affair, like I'm somebody special. Well, so anyway, that night, Michelle gets sick. I'm talking about sick, throwing up, massive headache, massive headache. We, uh, we get her in the morning. I mean, it's, she is, is so bad. I, pick, I have to pick her up, carry her to the doctor's office. We, had a, we, we lived in Okeechobee before, and her old pediatrician was still there. And so I carried her in my arms. She's just almost lifeless, just hurting and, you know, massive headache. Carry her in to him. He checks her out. He says, this is meningitis. Problem is, don't know whether it's viral or bacterial. I'm going to let you go home for two hours. He took the blood test and all that stuff. Said it's, we'll bring you, you come back in two hours, we'll be able to tell whether it's viral or bacteria. If it's bacterial, we have to treat it very aggressively with, back, with antibiotics. If not, the only thing we do is ride it out. So we go two hours, and when I get home, I'm praying, and I'm going, God says, you've sinned. You have been running your mouth. So can I tell you what I did? I started making phone calls and repenting. We carry her back to that two, I mean, for that two hours, that's what I did for two hours. I repented. We uh, carried her back to the doctor. The doctor says, did a spinal tap and said, it is, it's, it's viral meningitis. So he said, send us back home. Well, I carry Michelle back to the doctor the next morning. But 
here's what happened when I carried her back to the doctor the next morning. I walk in the doctor's office. Michelle walks in with me, walks in with me. When she get, it was before the doctor's office was completely open, and there were chairs around the peripheral of the waiting room. Michelle jumps up on the chairs and is jumping around the chairs while I go to the window and say, uh, here's my daughter that 24 hours ago I carried in my arms has had meningitis and look at her right now. Well, what happened? I took the authority I had with my family stuck outside here and left my daughter wide open in the midst of massive spiritual warfare. I repent, get back in, guess what? Had massive effect in bringing healing into Michelle's life. That's one of those things where you talk about boundaries being violated. And one, you see in your past scriptures there, and note there, see in relationship to ministry, where, where um, um, Paul violated the ministry that he had with the call of God in his life. And I think I shared this last week, that God violated the ministry of God where God said, you're called to the Gentiles. He goes to the Jews in Acts chapter 20 and 21. And I, my conviction is he didn't need to be in prison. He could have wrote those letters just as he was going. He violated the boundary, ministry boundaries that God had given him. And I will tell you this. Um, the more intense the ministry you have, the more intense things flow in the spirit, the more intense it is to pay attention to the small details. When I was doing ministry, you know, on the side back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, I made a lot of dumb mistakes. But my mistakes did not have much catastrophic effects. But when I started walking more in the power of God, in the presence of God, and, and spiritual warfare, my mistakes became massive. It's like the difference between flying a Piper Cub. I don't know if you know what a Piper Cub airplane is. It's a single-engine, propeller-driven airplane for two people that drives at about 60 miles an hour. You're putting along, and you can take the stick and do like this, and the plane will go, oh, you know, just slow. When you take an F-16 traveling over the speed of sound, and you do the stick like this, <laughs> you're dead meat, you know. In fact, some of these planes are so, they, they fly so, uh, so intense that the stick does not go directly to the, to the controls. It goes into a computer, and the computer balances out the mistakes. And so, uh, and so many of us, so many times, y'all, we need to let the computer of the Holy Spirit balance out our <laughs> mistakes. And God will do that, and that's a whole other rabbit. But the thing I want to say to you all, you have, a, you have boundaries in your life where to live, how to minister, and, uh, and it would do well to pay attention to those things. I will say this, it's easy to follow. There's a, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. How do you, there are just a couple of simple principles I want to say here 
about this, Isaiah Mead? <laughs> Isaiah and I had a big talk about this one time. Watch this in 10.12. It says, We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves with themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, with, but within the measure of the sphere which God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach into you. And he goes on, he's talking about these spheres. And we talked about this last week. And this is where you look for in relationship to living and ministry. Tom just spoke this a while ago in relationship. I was talking about Bob and him going into a, to a bar to minister Jesus. The question is, is that what God is apportioning to you or me? And the key phrase in this verse 12 is verse 12. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're without understanding. In other words, what it's saying is, if you got a group of pe- you got, got a group of people, and all of a sudden, everybody starts comparing themselves with themselves. What happens is you're without understanding and you will end up violating your sphere of ministry. That's one thing why John Hobbs and, and I are such good brothers and the, some of the other guys that, that run in that crazy bunch is Kenny Davis and another, there's a couple other guys. John and I were talking about this, how every one of us are so different. There ain't no one of us that are alike. I mean, Hobbs, he just, you look at him and he's, it's, he can laugh. He's just, he just, he just says crazy stuff and his heart is so wide open to God, but it's totally different. I think totally different than John Hobbs. And I'm different than John Hobbs, but I'm like John Hobbs. But the danger thing, the important thing is, is for John to be John and Rick to be Rick. And that's one of the cool things with us. All of us are different, and all of us just are just, it's so easy when we're together to just be ourselves. And what would the, one of the biggest things that will screw people up in relationship to boundaries is, is start trying to be something you're not created to be. And that's why I make that statement there about the fulfillment is bloom where you're planted. You know, we've had some people in recent years that are evangelists come in and start speaking stuff, tell crazy stories and, and speak, you know, crazy stuff. Cool stuff. It's real stuff. The danger is, is that people in the congregation or that person preaching saying, you do it like, you know, kind of communicate it. You can be like me. No, you can't. Oh, you can be encouraged to share the gospel, but you got to be you in doing it. And that is very important for the functioning in the sphere of ministry which God has apportioned to you. I can't do what Ron McCall does, and Ron McCall can't do what I do. I mean, there's my... I can do dots, Ron. 
know? For some reason, my dots don't look like Ramakal dots. But that's okay. That's, and I bless that. And Ron, where Ron can get screwed up is he tries to be like Rick and try to adopt Rick's boundaries. Come on, come on, uh, you know, come on, go to Croatia with me. Come on, let's go to Syria. Come on. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe that's not good. Just depends. probably remember this like it was two Sundays ago and I came to you and told you I wanted to ask your forgiveness <clears throat> for um, what it was is I always looked up to Rick like with the way how he knows the scripture I mean it's like a walking concordance or whatever <clears throat> but um, the Lord told me like a week before that that I had coveted wanting to be like Rick and knowing the scripture, mm. you know. Do you remember me, you know, asking your forgiveness for that? But um, I just, I see now that I had overstepped my boundaries. Like, yeah. You know. That's cool, and that's what he was speaking to. <clears throat> Isaiah, one time he and I were talking, and we're in the FCA, he's it's a chaplain for the, the wrestling team. And there was a time that, that all of a sudden people are talking, oh, man, there's an opportunity to minister to the, was it the track team? And the, and the soccer team. And, and I mean, you know, oh, you can come. Open, big, big opportunity. And, and Isaiah met, and I said, mm, what's your sphere? What's your sphere? And, you know, and I probably am not one that should be preaching this. As Burby rebuked me last week, so paraphrase is, Rick, I think you got too many spheres. And so, do I? Yeah, yeah, Bev's. Yeah, she, she, she what's, some of them are secret, though. <laughs> she, she finds out later, when did you make that appointment? What? So, anyway, boundaries. Okay. Uh, we're going to just share one more, then next week we'll deal with authority and relationship. Okay. Um, we'll talk real quick about time. The sovereign God allows men and women and angels the, free, the freedom to fulfill or violate their time. Okay, do you remember last week we shared there's two major types of time? What? Kairos and Kronos. Kronos is seconds, minutes, hours, days. Months, years. There are, there is time in relationship to this. You ever heard this statement? Ah, you're not going to die until it's your time. True or false? Depends. You can violate time, and we'll show you a past scripture in a few minutes that there's possible for a person not live out half their days. They can violate time. They can violate chronos time, or you can violate kairos time. Kairos is what? Memorable moments. Significant moments in your life that you remember. In fact, those are what is appointed 
That's what that, uh, that um, Acts 17 says. God has created everything with boundaries and times, appointed times. And so there are these appointed kairos moments that everybody, every one of us is created with. The big thing is, is so anyway, let me just show you how some of these things, uh, how, how these time can mix up. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Oops, left some past scriptures out. First Samuel chapter 8. Oh, my mind is... Sorry, I'm looking up two past scriptures at the same time. In 1 Samuel 8. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. This thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard that they say to you, They have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. Now, wait a minute. Now, what makes this confusing? Hear this statement, what the elders said. This is the elders. It says, Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Let me read a past scripture to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. Listen to this very carefully. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall possess it and live in it. You shall say, who will set a king over us like all the nations who are around us? All they did, y'all, was quote a passage of scripture out of Deuteronomy 17. They're quoting a past scripture. They're claiming a promise. And all of a sudden, they get Saul to be their king. Do you realize, you see in your notes there, I wrote it there, in 1 Chronicles 13, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol, which is the reality of the presence of God, never came into Jerusalem. It was not sought after during the reign of Saul. Why? Saul was never supposed to be king. Never supposed to be king. David was supposed to be the first king. Saul was a king after the flesh, and anything according to the flesh will wage war against anything in the spirit. And so that, you know, we could talk about that a lot. But what, what is the deal here? Prematurely time, time. They got before the time. David, I don't even know if he's born yet. He's probably just born by now, by this point in time, just born. And so they're probably 15, 20 years too early on this. The time was not right. And so you're dealing with a chronos time uh, issue there. So you remember last week I was talking about chronos, when chronos is a time of preparation 
resources being added, but also there'll be a temptation to abort the promise that God's trying to do in Kronos time. And so uh, um, uh, notice this passage of scripture in, in Luke chapter, in your notes, Luke chapter 19, verse 44, um, <coughs> excuse me, where it says, uh, well, let me just read it so I don't violate it. How powerful it is. There's premature time, but here in 1944, it says, 43, for the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave you on one stone upon the other because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. There was a time. And they did, they missed the time. And so Moses missed the time, y'all, when, when uh, he took things in his own hands and started trying to kill, you know, uh, Egyptians and trying to mediate. He took things into his own hands 10 years premature. Yeah, it's 10 years premature. God prophesied children of Israel would be in Egypt for 400 years. Year 390, Moses takes in things into his hands. Year 430 is when they came out. Why? Moses was premature. Premature or you miss the time when it comes. There's times that God is going to do something and there is chronos moments. You want to be able to recognize, quote, the linear time. Because, and it's not, I want to say this to y'all, it's not that God's up there going, you missed it, so I'm going to jack your jaw. That's not it at all. But it's sort of like this, is that as time is proceeding, God's provisions are, are poured out and ready at a particular spot. You get out here and here, out here and here, you deal with crocodiles. And that's why there's destruction. It's not that God is the initiator of destruction. The God does not take away. He's not the thief. He does not steal, kill, and destroy. But what happens is, is that when we get in places at the wrong time, either premature or too late, you're, you're, you're in crocodile land. You're not where God's at. So there is a chronos time, and and that's why I've got in here. Look at, and one thing that can affect Kronos time is sin and death. Look at Job 22. Lest anyone ever wonders whether somebody can die before their time, right? There's four passages of scriptures that can tell you that. In Job 22, 15, 16. Will you keep the ancient path which the wicked have trod? Who, who were snatched away before their time? Snatched away before their time. They died before their time. God's going, listen, you're purposed for life. You're purposed for a longer life. You have, your time has been violated. You know, I could go on and look at these, uh, you know, uh, Psalm 55, 23, they all say the same thing. 
And I will say this to 5523. Uh, but thou, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction, men of bloodshed who deceit, who do not live out half their days. So people can, vi can be violated. Now let me just tell you that, y'all. Um, this is, uh, when you deal with this kind of thing, um, now let me just, um, I'm going to say something, God, judge, y'all judge what I'm about to say, okay, very intensely, and don't put much weight into it, but just, I say it to just consider some things. Two, two things that I, I have seen that from my perspective can Three things that can create death before the time. One is, like you just said right there, men of bloodshed. People that are hardcore walking in death and destruction. And things can happen not cool and they don't live out half their days. Second thing is, is that when we were talking about the first night, we were talking about how God created everything with order under law, like laws of gravity. And, you know, if somebody jumps off the top, you remember how he's talking about if somebody jumps off the top of the building and goes, and they die, and they go, oh, look what God did. No, no, God didn't do that. Somebody just jumped off a building in dumbness. Well, um, a person can violate the laws, the ordering of creation, both physically and spiritually, and bring death into their lives. That's why it says, my people perish because of what? Lack of knowledge. And so that happens both in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. I know And that's what to say and what not to say. I know good people that I, I believe God told me that died before their time because they were violating laws in creation in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. They, were, they died before their time. Now, we'll talk about one of the other things when we talk about the sovereign God allows you know, people to violate their, the time, fulfill or violate time. Um, we'll talk about how God seeks to redeem, how we screw it up, praise God. Uh, that's, that's big. But, uh, but it is a reality that happens. Um, Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Are y'all with me on this? I mean, I didn't. I mean, you're cool. Did you say the third thing? I combined them. Violating law, both in the physical or violating law in the spiritual. Well, I mean, like. I could bring, I could mention some situations that have happened in Christendom that we could all wonder about. Well, Tom brought, it, brought one up, Keith Green. You know, I mean, 
Did Satan kill him? You know, or was it he violated law? He put too many people in an airplane that was only created to carry a certain amount of weight. If you're going to put too many people in an airplane that's only created for so much weight, you better do some prayer and fasting so that you're allowing the laws of the spiritual realm to supersede the laws of the physical realm. You know, that's what, you know, you know, can we go 90 miles an hour on, on a, you know, as a believer and go, okay, yeah, angel. I've done it. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm admitted to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about in a backcountry road. I mean, if you, you know, so I'm, I, you know, I don't want to make boast because phooey, that is not a boast. That's what, what I'm, what I'm talking about is people dying before their time. And so, you know, you know, I, just let me summarize this, y'all. God ain't the taker. That's why it's important for us to understand how creation's ordered both physically and spiritually. So, so anyway, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. The fulfillment of time. I just want to share this with real quick in closing tonight. And notice what I say. Look for the jewels in the midst of the piles of manure. What does that mean? How, how, you can, how can you walk in the fulfillment of time? Both chronos and kairos. What, what am I trying to say? When you look for jewels in the, in the midst of the piles of manure. <laughs> well, what am I, is that what I'm saying? Well, that's what Rich would say. <laughs> I mean, look at this in, the, in Ephesians 5. We'll start at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Okay, he's talking about wisdom. Okay, anytime you're talking about wisdom, wisdom deals with what, y'all? Isaiah, what does wisdom involve? Movements. Wisdom is always about movements. There's, there's wisdom of the world. It's how the world moves, how things work and move in the world. Spiritual wisdom has got to do with movements in the spiritual realm. And it's saying here, don't be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Understand the movements, both physically and spiritually. That's why first... Corinthians chapter, after uh, two, tells us that this, the spiritual man discerns all things, because you can discern the movements in the physical realm and movements in the spiritual realm. But watch as it says, making the most of your time for the days are evil. Well, the Greek—that's the New American Standard. But the Greek word says, redeeming time for the days are evil. The Greek word there for time, which one is that? Huh? Kairos. It's not chronos. For years I had gone, I was looking at that from chronos perspective. Redeeming time? How do you do that? Do you go, you know, back to the future? Is that how you do? You get in a time machine and you, you relive time? Is that what this is talking about? No. It's talking about memorable moments. Created moments where God has created us before the foundations of the world that there are moments created 
for us to have uh, impactful moments, both in ourselves and in other people's lives. Kairos moments. And that's what I did. Remember last week how we went around the room? I asked y'all, some, what are some of the Kairos moments that's happened in your lives that altered the direction of your lives? Where you ran across somebody, they said something, did something that had a significant impact in your life to alter your life. Like a friend of mine one time who was an FBI agent. He's an FBI agent down in South Florida. This was, in the, this was in the 80s. 80s. 80s? Yeah, it was in the 80s. He was an FBI agent in South Florida. Looked like an FBI agent and fought like an FBI agent. I mean, very straight-laced kind of guy. Coat and tie kind of guy. Always, you know, FBI. Back in the day especially, you know, they always had coat and tie. Well, he goes to a goes to a conference down in a Holy Ghost conference down in Miami, and this lady walks up to him and says, "I see that God is doing a thing in you, and you're going to do a ministry to youth." And he's going, "What? That is the last thing that I could ever believe in my life that I would be doing a ministry to youth." Now he's married and he's got four kids too, by the way. I mean, and so he's going, this won't tell him. And obviously, she's a false prophet. Well, you know, about a year later, guess what he's doing? In his home, he's got a ministry for youth. Let me tell you something. I went to that home. There's about 30 or 40 kids in that home. I've been in a lot of Holy Ghost, powerful Holy Ghost meetings and conferences around the world. That Bible study in that home to those kids is one of the most powerful things I've ever been in in my life. Because that, he, Lee, Kaiser was his name, is his name, he had a Kairos moment with a woman that spoke a word into him that altered the direction of his life. So he ended up becoming a Presbyterian minister in a charismatic Presbyterian church. And I, we probably go around the room here and how we've had Kairos moments. But the interesting thing, notice what it says, re, redeeming Kairos moments for the days are evil. Y'all, chronos is evil. If you're not careful, that's what days are evil. Chronos is tainted with sin and death. What do you have to do to lose chronos? Nothing. Nothing. You don't have to do a thing to lose chronos. Time is tainted. You, it, you lose it just by doing nothing. But the thing is that happens is, is that our time is, in fact, everything about our lives, y'all, has to be redeemed. In fact, let me just say this, not just putting it in relationship time. Everything about your life has to be redeemed. Remember last week, Paul's gifting to build the, to, to build the church up in the spirit? What did he do in the flesh? His gift. Persecuted the church. Killed people in the church. That it had that gift had to be redeemed. You know, a witch or a warlock is nothing but somebody in the prophetic. They have a prophetic gift that has to be redeemed. Don't have time to go into that. But literally, these kairos moments in your lives and my lives are they are have to be redeemed. That's why I was saying to y'all last week is that most of the kairos moments of your life are in the midst of piles of manure. 
where you're having to wade through some crap to find some treasure. And that's fact, if we can train ourselves whenever we see a pile of manure, oh, that's probably a jewel there. <laughs> when somebody's giving you a hard time and that's a pile of manure and you're going, God, this thing stinks bad, there's probably a, there's probably a kairos moment in there. And, and one of the most powerful things, like my wife one time, there was this lady who came into our church down in, when I was pastoring that Baptist church down in Big Stone. You know, that church, let me tell you, it was very traditional. So this lady came in the church in there who was a divorcee, very beautiful. She came in the church and she started, you know, you know, started wanting to grow in her relationship with God. So, so I was the pastor, you know, in a, in a Baptist church. So the pastor leads out in a lot of ministry. In that days, I was not too smart in how I did ministry, you know. But anyway, so I'm just trying to help this woman. And Paula, one of the, some of the ladies come up to Paula in the church says, Paula, you know, you need to watch this woman. You need to watch her. And, and so she starts entertaining you, you know, it's her past, you know, I mean, you know, she's divorced and such and such, such and such, and are saying all these things. And, uh, and, and so Paula starts entertaining these accusations to this woman who's just coming to church, just really just trying to come into the church and really just, you know. So anyway, so one Wednesday night in church, uh, this woman... Uh, I mean, we're in church, and Paula, this woman's sitting in a pew in front of Paula. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to Paula and says, uh, you violated that woman. You violated her. And uh, you've been entertaining gossip about her. You haven't witnessed any of this stuff. And here she is just really coming to church and just really just wanting Jesus. And you've been entertaining gossip about her. You need to repent to her. <laughs> and Paula, she's going, God, <laughs> you know. And I, if you hear Paula share this testimony, I'm, I'm sharing it the best I can. I remember this is almost twenty, almost twenty-five years ago, thirty years ago, maybe by now. But anyway, so Paula goes, God, it's you. You wanted me to repent to her for gossiping about her, you know, and entertaining. Gossip? Right now? And so Paula said, okay, God. So the service ends. Paula walks up to this woman and she says, listen, I, I just want you to forgive me for just entertaining gossip about you. And, you know, I am so sorry. And a woman, if I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong about this, but I think she starts to cry. And she says, Thank you so much. You know, I've been sitting here praying about somebody that I could pour my heart out to that I could trust. And you proved to me that you're somebody I could trust. That's a Kairos moment. That was a significant event in a pile of manure. And so, you know, so look for the Kairos moments. And, uh, you know, chronos is important that, you, that there's times that God's purposing stuff. But here's the word is, don't let chronos violate kairos. But, you know, there's a balance in what I just said. 
One of my all-time favorites in closing out with this one was Heidi Baker. She's, she's on her, she's walking, she's on a journey through a village. She has to get to a, to a, a big apostolic meeting. A bunch of big leaders are at this meeting. I heard Heidi share this out of her own mouth. So she, she's on the way to this meeting and she's running a little bit late. But as she's walking along, she looks down and she sees this little woman who's blind. And she goes, and she just sees her, and her heart just goes out to this woman who's blind. And so she, but she's got to get to this meeting. She's running late. But, so she stops and sits down next to this woman and says, okay, this woman's more important. And she sits down and she talks to this woman. She says, what's your name? She says, I don't have a name. I've been born blind, and I've just been put aside. And she starts telling her stuff, you know, that she's just been really cast away. And, uh, but Heidi says, well, you know, I'm going to give you a name. So Heidi gives her a name, names her, and then leads her to Jesus, and then turns around and prays for her, and she receives her sight. Well, that's a Kairos moment to that woman. Well, it's a Kairos moment that affected my life. And, and, uh, and I'll be honest with you, John Hobbs and Kenny Davis are one of those people that pressed my heart about Kairos moments. I watched Kenny Davis one time going to a leading worship to a couple of hundred kids and all of a sudden there's a kid that he runs, sees on his way to there and he's, this kid needs prayer. So Kenny stops and prays for this kid so long and so intense that we have to go to worship service and do disco praise out here. This is not the time midst it, it's another time. And and Kenny's drunk in the spirit, <laughs> praying for this guy, and so is the person he's praying for. And that person's life was changed. And so, and I'm not saying throw Kronos to the side, but Kairos moments are created by God, and we need to watch for the piles of, you know, watch for the jewels in the midst of the piles of manure in the fields of our lives. So, anyway, any other questions or comments? Purpose, time, boundaries. God gives us the freedom in those. He's not dictating them, but there's treasures there. That when you walk in them, the rewards and the treasures are unspeakable. They're just phenomenal. So, so anyway, close shot. No questions? Tulio, you got a question? <laughs> okay, Ken, y'all gotta go get your kids. You gotta go get your kids out of childcare. <laughs> so. Okay, well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for being with my brothers and sisters tonight. Lord, I thank you that you're just an awesome God who has created, Lord, us, Lord, with phenomenal purposes. Lord, you put us in a time, there's just no accident that we're at this time in our lives, Lord, in chronos, 
of all history. But Lord, you've created these kairos moments in the midst of all of this time for us to interact with you and other people. Lord, there are these boundaries that you've created for us. Lord, for protection and the function and the fullness of what you've got for us. And so, Lord, we, uh, and you give us freedom to walk in those things, Lord, so that when we walk in them, Lord, that there is treasures in heaven for us that you judicially give to us, Lord, because we walked in these things out of choices of love to follow you, to walk in your purposes, to walk in your time, to walk in the places that you put for us. And Lord, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. And I bless them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Next week, we'll talk about authority. You've got your notes on that. And uh, if you get a chance during the week, look it over. Because we'll go there. And uh, it'll be interesting when we start talking about authority and violating authority.